Okay, we're going to get started, guys and gals. We're going to get started. Let me pray for us and ask God's blessing on our time. Father in heaven, thank you that your word is given to us all things that's needed for life and godliness. Please help us, Father, to continue to grow in understanding your glorious design for men and women. And may we mutually assist one another in our progress towards continually embracing that which you have for us, which is for our good and for the flourishing of our own personal lives and for our families and for our churches and even for our society, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our world has high expectations for women. Today's ideal woman radiates both beauty and competence. Look at her Instagram feed and you will see. She can get the promotion, balance the budget, get her kids to eat Brussels sprouts, and run a marathon, all without smudging her mascara. Women today are told that they can be whatever they want to be. They do not need to let traditional, outdated stereotypes of femininity define them. But yet, at the same time, so many women in our culture feel trapped by impossibly lofty expectations. To be successful, to have cute kids, obedient kids, to be pretty, to have life that is so put together that it could be featured on the cover of Real Simple. <laughs> Who here knows that? Real Simple. Okay. Yes, yes, I did see a female officiant at the uh, Dallas Cowboys game uh, that's playing right now. Uh, we're down by three. Okay, so, but Jesus is worth it, so we, we continue. So, where can we go to think rightly about what it means to be a woman? Is anybody else starting to get hot, like, already? Yeah, the heat is like, is like smoking. Cheryl's giving me the evil eye. Cheryl, you need to repent. <laughs> We're up by four. We're up by four. All right. All right. We've got to focus here. Where can we go to think rightly about what it means to be a woman? Where can men learn how to treat women? And as we've done in each of the classes before, we're going to go to Scripture tonight. So what are we going to find? Here's an overview, and you're going to find this in the handout. Women have far greater dignity and worth than the world ascribes to them. They are created in the image of God to display His glory throughout the universe, number one. Number two, women have a far greater problem than the world recognizes, the problem of sin and rebellion against God. But they also have a far greater Savior than the world offers. A sinless servant who was radical in the way that he befriended and offered them life. And then finally, women have been given instruction by this Savior in His Word on how they are to express their femininity. Today we want to study a handful of key texts that are going to give us the building blocks for how to understand biblical femininity. So, a couple of things to point out before we do that. We mentioned some of these considerations when we studied masculinity. Now, I want to use them to frame our study of femininity. Okay? So, deja vu. Number one. To live as a godly woman on one level is to simply seek godliness. 
When it comes to our Christian discipleship, there is much overlap between men and women. We're both heirs in Christ. The New Testament only occasionally gives us two genders, uh, gives the two genders specific differing instructions. So, but generally, we are all called to do the same thing, which is to take up our cross daily and to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, whether we are men or women. So there's much overlap in our discipleship. Um, so to, to be a godly woman in one sense is to simply seek godliness. So number two, today's lesson though is focused on the very specific question of what tends to be distinctive about womanhood in particular. As a woman, you will always express the fruit of the Spirit as a woman, not a genderless, generic person. So our hope is to describe what are the family resemblances, if you will, of dispositions that all women tend to have in common according to God's created design. And three, whenever we study God's creation design, we need to remember that creation is fallen. This means that some women may find uh, that feminine tendencies feel less natural or, or normal to them. The fall has made it difficult to perceive and sometimes walk in God's, created, uh, in God's creation design. But the goal is simply this. The goal is to seek to live within the grain of the gender that God has made you to be. Now for some that may be relatively straightforward. For others that may require seeking considerable wisdom for your personality, for your context, for your culture. Okay. Number four. Scripture sometimes describes femininity in the context of a marriage relationship. When the scriptures were written, marriage was a familiar context in which the virtues of femininity could be illustrated. This does not mean that a woman has to be married to be feminine. So we can look at Esther, Ruth, Mary, and others in Scripture to see exemplary, strong, single women and widows who can teach us much. And we're going to try to look at those as we go along today. Now, just to point out the obvious, I am teaching this class as a man. Um, that is because, as we will study more closely in the coming weeks, God has called men to the role of formal teaching in the gathered church when there are men and women. So thus, I am teaching us tonight. But we go to God's word, and God's word is our authority as opposed to our experience. So let's begin by talking about femininity in Genesis 1 through 3. Remember that in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it's, that's foundational for our view of both men and women. And it teaches that men and women are both created in God's image. They have the same value, dignity, honor, and worth also recall the God's creation mandate that he gives in Genesis 1. He called humanity to exercise dominion over the earth. He called mankind to be fruitful and multiply. Everybody remember that? We've been in these, but these are so good to go over because these are so foundational and our, our culture being unmoored from the scriptures has no solid foundation upon which they can base the concept of masculinity, femininity, so they have, no, they have no basis, so they just say it's just a social construct, just a cultural construct, and you're kind of floating on a cloud of nothingness as it relates to what your real identity is as either a man or a woman. So it's good for us to just spend some time in Genesis. So Genesis 1, he called mankind to exercise dominion, be fruitful, multiply. If we turn to Genesis 2, 
we see that God creates the first man, and in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So, man begins exercising dominion over the ground from which God created him. He names the animals, he works and guards the garden, but things aren't very good yet. And in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And in verses 23 through 24, we see that because the woman is bone of the man's bones and flesh of his flesh, they can be united together as one flesh in marriage. The man was literally unable, this is interesting to notice, the man was unable to be fruitful and multiply on his own. He needed Eve. So neither of them is more important than the other. God ordained to express his image in two sexes, male and female, and the couple would be unable to exercise God's dominion and be fruitful without each other. Now, with that said, the man does seem to have an inclination towards working the ground. So, 2.15. And, and thus, the, the dominion part of the creation mandate. The woman, on the other hand, is the one who bears children and thus helps 2.18 to the, fulfill the be fruitful part of the creation mandate in particular. They need each other, and they both fulfill the whole mandate together, but they have different strengths and tendencies with regard to that mandate. So you see the men tending towards the dominion part of that mandate. You see the women tending towards the be fruitful part of that mandate, which leads us to an important question. What is the woman's role in this first marriage designed to be. Verse 18, she is a helper to the man as they jointly exercise dominion over the garden. This title, helper, is actually an exalted title. Uh, God himself is often called the helper to his people in the Old Testament. Psalm 54, 4, Behold, the Lord is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life. Without God as helper, we'd be doomed, and that's how desperately... We need God, and also, by implication, Adam needed Eve. Now, the term helper <coughs> excuse me, also confirms that the husband is called to exercise loving, sacrificial authority in the marriage relationship. As we've mentioned in previous weeks, the man was created first, as Paul points out in 1 Timothy 2.13, and God holds him accountable first for the couple's sin in chapter 3. But helper is a term of strength. Suffice it to say, this does not mean <coughs> excuse me, that Eve was created to make Adam breakfast in bed or fetch him TV uh, or fetch him the TV remote or for him to just pop up on the recliner and say, "Woman, go get me my chips." Uh, God blesses the man with her to help him faithfully carry out God's commission and commands. It wasn't good for him to be alone primarily because he was unable to exercise dominion and be fruitful and multiply without her. So, in the context of the first marriage, Eve was to be Adam's equal with her own distinct gifts 
who would compliment him in every way, even as she submitted herself to his leadership in their marriage. She was to improve his weaknesses, sharpen his strengths. She was to use her wisdom, her strength, her perspective, her insight, her creativity to help him in ways that he crucially needs. And his calling was to love and protect her sacrificially. That should be enough to give you an amen. Uh, okay. Matthew Henry has a famous quote that reflects on the fitting symbolism that's possibly suggested by God's design here. It's on your second page of your handout. I love this quote. Quote, The woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Those Puritans, they thought, they thought and reflected deeply. So what happened next <clears throat> in the fall? Well, Adam and Eve both sinned against God in a way that went against his design for their specific roles. Adam was supposed to lead and protect Eve. He instead follows her idea to eat the fruit. So he doesn't lead, he follows. Eve was supposed to follow and help her husband. Instead, she's the one who leads him into temptation. And what happens to women as a result of sin? Well, the curse is given in Genesis 3.16, and that curse shows that now women are going to bear children in pain. And it also shows that there's going to be strife in her relationship with the man. In our first three weeks, free, in, our first free, in our first three weeks, excuse me, we explain that masculinity lends itself to a working disposition. Now what I want us to see is that the scripture suggests that femininity tends to involve what I'm going to call a relational disposition. So masculinity should tend towards a working disposition and femininity uh, involves what I'm going to call a relational disposition. The man was created from the ground, was called to work the ground, and saw the ground cursed after sin. In contrast, the woman who's created from the man was called to help the man and sees her role in childbearing and her relationship with the man challenged by the fall. This points to her relational orientation. And while the fall has made it harder to fulfill gender dispositions God has given us, it hasn't eradicated those dispositions. Men and women still bear the image of God, right? So, while men are, of course, called to care for others in life-giving relationships, that's part of shepherding, which all men are to do in the relationships they've been given, women in particular seem designed to be relationally oriented and use their strength and their energy to nurture and bring life to others. And we see this even after the fall. Genesis 3.20 the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Right? God ordained that part of Eve's role would still involve bringing about life. In fact, in Hebrew, the word Eve is related to the word for life. We should endure in, infer from this that femininity involves nurturing life in others. Not only physical life through being a mother, which some women will do, but cultivating spiritual life, which all women can and should do. Now, without a doubt, the fall has made it bitterly hard for some women to bear children. 
The recurring barrenness that we see in the book of Genesis is a painful reminder that childbearing is, in a very literal sense, cursed. And sadly, many women today can testify to the anguish of that unmet longing. But Scripture, <coughs> excuse me, but the rest of Scripture reminds us that you don't need to be married to, and have kids to express life-giving, nurturing femininity. All women are designed by God to use your relational gifts and strengths to foster fruit and growth and encouragement and godliness in others. Paul exhorts women in Titus 2.3 to train other women in godliness. And that's consistent with this feminine inclination to cultivate life in others, right? And, and it's also what we see in Luke 8.3 where where Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and other women use their financial means to sustain and nourish Jesus and his disciples. God is going to call some women to be physical mothers, but he is going to call all women to be mothers and sisters in a very broad sense, nurturing spiritual life in others. Let me just pause there. Any questions so far from anything we've covered? Yes, Carol? Two, three. Uh, can you give me some context there that you're looking for? Oh, what I mean by that is that the fall has impacted all of us in such a way as to where uh, it will not necessarily feel natural for us to fulfill the creation mandates that God has given to us in our particular genders. So you have gender dysphoria, you also have desires to not really live within the creation design for that which we were designed to be, whether men or women. And so it's just a statement of the reality that because of the fall, we are inclined to, to not feel as though God's design is right and natural and good. Uh, we, some of us may have trouble walking in that. And so I'm saying for some of you it's going to be straightforward. For others of you, you're going to require considerable wisdom uh, thinking through your personality, your context, and your culture. Fulfilling the mandate that God's given you specifically as a woman. Same could be said for men, though. Other questions? I feel it doesn't feel hot anymore to me. I don't know about you guys. You feeling good? Okay, beautiful. Any other questions so far? We're going to have time for more. Okay, let's turn next then. Uh, not surprisingly, to Proverbs 31. 10 through 31, uh, which gives us a profile of a godly woman. Now, this chapter is a summation of the wisdom commended by the whole book of Proverbs. The woman we're about to see is a model of godliness for men and women alike, but we will still notice uniquely feminine virtues in this description. So, what do we learn here about femininity? Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife... Who can find? 
She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So let's just notice a few things about this model woman. <clears throat> Naomi, could you get me a bottle of water? Number one, she uses her strength selflessly and wisely. So she uses her strength self, selflessly thank you, bud, and wisely. In these verses, we see a picture of feminine industry and ingenuity. She develops a textile business and burns the midnight oil so she can provide for her family and for others in need. Notice in verse 17 that real femininity literally involves strength. <laughs> okay? This woman uses her strength to get solid work done and to care for the poor. And while her hands are busy in the embodied physical world, she also blesses others with her spiritual counsel as well. Verse 26, she speaks wisdom and teaches kindness. So her mouth is not shut, right? Her words bless others and her words point them to God. So we see that. Number two, we see that she endeavors to bless her family and her community. Remember what we said earlier about how femininity involves nurturing life. That's exactly what this woman does as she generously feeds the poor and clothes her own children. Even though she can do many things, notice how she's devoted to being a helper to her husband and her children. She has a business endeavor that's outside the home, but the business endeavor is not primarily for the sake of her own reputation or her own fulfillment or satisfaction. It is to benefit her family and those close to her her neighbors and community. And, and by the way, this principle still applies to women who are single. So we have examples of women in the Bible who are noteworthy in their efforts to bless others. There's Tabitha in Acts 9.36, which says that she was, quote, full of good works and acts of charity, end quote. Or we have Phoebe in Romans 16.1. It says that she was a servant in the church 
at Centria. Uh, I actually think that word servant is a deacon. I think she was a deacon in the church in Centria. She, had a, she was a patron of many, including the Apostle Paul, which means that she financially assisted in their works to spread the gospel and supported them. Now, we don't know if these women are, women are married, but it is telling that their husbands aren't even named. Uh, they are simply notable for how they nourish and cultivate life in others. Number three, she fears the Lord. Verse 30. In a day where external beauty is often noticed first, isn't that the case in our culture? In a day where external beauty is noticed first, the Holy Spirit wants to remind us here that true beauty is found in the heart And specifically in the heart that reverences and adores God. This woman knows that God is her judge. This woman knows that God is the one whom she must love and serve above all else. And then number four, and I hope this is very encouraging to you. Her example should be freeing, not discouraging. (laughs) So some women can feel weighed down when they read Proverbs 31. Right? So you read Proverbs 31, this Proverbs 31 woman, and you feel discouraged and you feel weighed down and you feel like you're a loser. Why? Because you know how far short that you fall of this standard. Now, I just want you to remember, ladies, the book of Proverbs is just that. Proverbial wisdom for life. This woman is described in an idealized way. It's like a love poem. It's like a sonnet. The author is highlighting her strengths. His point here isn't to dwell on her sins and weaknesses, which no doubt she had because she's a daughter of Eve like all of you. The author is highlighting her strengths. It's not The point isn't to dwell on her sins and weaknesses. In fact, this text is an acrostic poem. He starts each line with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which reflects a sense of completion. Now, what is the point? It is okay if you feel a bit exhausted when you read all of this woman's accomplishments. (laughs) Okay? We shouldn't see Proverbs 31 like an old school Pinterest page or an Instagram feed from some domestic diva that you cannot live up to. Okay, this is a poetic profile and it intentionally leaves out the dirty laundry and the rebellious kids and the weariness with fighting sin and temptation and the house that is a wreck and the tears on the pillow at night. All right, if you feel like you don't measure up to the Proverbs 31 woman, that's actually the whole point. This picture of godly femininity should beckon you Not to feel good about yourself, but to depend on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is your Savior. And to the degree that you continue to follow him, you will reflect more of this idealized woman that is put forth for us in this beautiful scripture. So this is not a call to become awesome or to become discouraged at your lack of awesomeness. It is a call to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ because as you do, you'll be transformed into his image and reflect more of this reality. 
And with that said, um, well, I should say, the truth is, there is no perfect woman above or among the daughters of Eve. Whether in the book of Proverbs, right, or here in our classroom today, all of us, men and women, are saved not by our ability to live out the virtues we see in the book of Proverbs, but by trusting in the one who is wisdom himself, the one who is the promised offspring of Eve, Genesis 3.15, the great son who would crush the serpent and undo the curse and give us life and make all things new, the one who would take the curse of death and rise again to save all who trust in him. Jesus is the hope for every woman and every man here today. Okay? That should make you say, Amen. Amen. There you go. Um, with that said, I would actually like to ask the ladies in the congregation, I want to pose to you a couple of questions because I think we could all benefit from you uh, by asking you a couple of questions about femininity. And if you feel like you don't particularly have wisdom on the, the particular question, then you don't have to answer. You don't need to feel pressured to do so. But I want to encourage you to answer if you think like if you think it may be helpful or edifying for your brothers and sisters. I'm curious. I throw this question out to any of you. What were you taught about femininity growing up? And does it reflect what you see here? Any thoughts from any of our ladies? Got a lot of good and godly ladies in this room. Carol? Okay, so kind of manners, kind of yeah. respectfulness, tact, care in the way you socially interact and carry yourself. Okay. Yeah, what were you taught about femininity growing up? Did, does it, did, it, did it comport with what you see here? Curious. Yeah, so almost like, almost like the introduction, right? Like the introduction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, except, maybe, except maybe to the exclusion of a lot of, of, a lot of what Carol was talking about. Okay, to the exclusion. A lot of discussion of the graces, if you will. Got it. Okay. Okay. So Nikki's saying she was just taught just accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. That's what you need to do. Carol is saying she was taught. Uh, be ladylike and and respectful and, and comport yourself well. Okay? Sonia? I think my perspective was just a little different. I think my mom was trying to instill in me and my sister, like, you can do anything. You know, don't close the door, you're going to let anybody tell you because you're a girl, you can't do this or do that. And we are 
Okay. So Sonia's saying she. Was, I'm just repeating this. Repeating this for those who are hearing it. Sonia's saying she was taught, you can do anything, you can accomplish anything, anything a boy can do, you need to do. But in her, but she didn't reflect that in her actual relationship with her husband. It was actually quite trampled on. But then, quietly behind doors, quite closed doors, she was telling you, don't end up like me. Okay. 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 Do you think any of those thus far really comport with what's being here? Some of them aren't totally inconsistent, but do you think anything is really a shining example thus far of what we see here? I wouldn't say so. So Missy's saying she felt like she wasn't, or were you saying that of yourself or were you saying that of what's been shared thus far? Not really sure that that focus on character was more external. You know, wear skirts, don't wear loud makeup, don't cut your hair short, stuff like that. So I think more feminine. Okay. Um, my mother taught us that since Daddy worked, she did his laundry, made sure dinner was cooked, <coughs> he got home. He would be. We would all. We always sat together and had dinner. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. What, what's a challenge that you've experienced in walking in the feminine virtues that we've been discussing here? So some of the, the virtues that that are that are put forth here. What are some challenges that you experience in walking in these feminine virtues? And what's one joy that walking in these virtues has brought you? After you came to faith. When I first learned that God had a plan and a role defined for women that was rich and robust and laudable, but so different from what the world had, I was taken aback, first of all, and then realizing that that was something that I could like, get my arms around, that I could understand and adopt and feel good about. No, it was both Amen. surprising and free. Amen. And what was really helpful, and I wish it happened before I got married, but what was really helpful was finding out that there was a path that God had laid out that wasn't going to make me compete with my husband. And and, and unfortunately, I feel like the way that I was raised culturally, not my parents, but culturally, kind of put me in competition with my husband. I think I'm going to give up on trying to repeat these things for the, those who are listening. So if you're listening, it was a great discussion. You should be here. Um, <laughs> forgive me. 
Well, you bring up a great point, right? So walking in God's design for our lives in every way is that which does bring us joy and that which is what is best for us. So when we come to, first of all, I feel like part of the problem with the world's uh, tension with biblical femininity, which in the context of marriage certainly is one of submission to uh, the husband's authority, so a lot of the world's tension with that has to do with they make a logical error uh, to say that submission entails lesser dignity, lesser value, lesser worth. And that's a logical error. Differing roles does not mean differing or lesser than as it relates to value, dignity, or worth. It does not mean that. So first of all, when you recognize that you're equal in value, dignity, and worth, and yet God has differing roles to play and that the husband is to be the loving and sacrificial leader and the wife is to support and follow and submit to his leadership, then that's something you can get behind and get excited about. So that is an exciting and glorious thing. And that's, of course, in the context of marriage. That doesn't mean there isn't uh, biblical femininity outside of marriage, but that's, that's the one that you're specifically speaking of. Nikki? Yeah. Correct. Can you elaborate on it and help you so us understand what you mean? Yeah, it's certainly very incomplete. Yeah, 
Yeah. Sonia. Yes, very significant. Oh, what a good word from just a word of testimony, right? Again, coming back to like, here's the pattern that you're seeing. So young people. And parents, take note for your young people. Don't be bashful about God's commands and his ways in all of life, no matter how much they rub against the cultural grain. Because walking in God's light is where fullness of joy is. So, you know, you just gave testimony to that sister that before you came to Christ, you felt like either you had to be one of the guys and be like super cool to be respected by them, or be used by them in order to be appreciated by them. And then coming to Christ, seeing such value and worth that is placed upon women by God uh, and seeing his good design and that bringing joy and satisfaction. Uh, very good. Other, other thoughts along those lines? I really appreciate just hearing from you. Missy? another excellent word. Okay, let me ask you another question. Ladies, what would you say to men at Redeeming Grace who want to grow in serving, treasuring, and valuing women? 
what do we tend to misunderstand about women and how can we best encourage you to pursue the kind of femininity that we've talked about in this session? So, what would you say to the men of Redeeming Grace who want to grow in serving and treasuring and valuing women? And how do we, what do we tend to misunderstand about women? And how can we best encourage you to pursue the kind of femininity that's been put forth here tonight? I realized there was like three, three questions embedded into one. That's like one of those trick home group questions. Like, wait, which one am I supposed to answer? A, B, C. All of them, right? Heather? That's encouragement. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's good. Carol? Come on, Abby. All right. Who knows what's going to come here? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go.
yeah. But I think yeah. that, like, not viewing this as necessarily, like, a type of personality, but, like, viewing it as, like, virtues and that they're not going to look the same in every single woman. Thank you, Abby. Excellent. Thank you. Other thoughts? Ladies, help us love and respect and be helpful to you. I'm just glad my wife wasn't able to come tonight. <laughs> um. Hold on, let me let Sarah go. Missy, did you have something? No? Okay. Sonia? I think you do see those spheres embedded in the creation mandate, and that should be the grain in which we seek to live. But because of the fall, it's not going to be as natural for some as it is for others. And so there should be a protect and provide impulse in the men. And that protection should not only be physical, but spiritual. And that provision should not only be physical, but spiritual. It's not always going to be natural. Um, for, for the man to do that. You know, for example, you have the strong, silent type, quote, unquote. Well, that's not biblical. You know, it's, it's just not uh, to just say, well, I don't talk. My wife does all the talking about the Bible in our family. That's not, that's not biblical. Um, so you should be, as a man, growing in providing for your family spiritually and physically. And, and as a woman in this relational sphere of... Of, of, of helping and assisting and nourishing and all of that that may not necessarily feel natural to some women, but you should seek to live within the grain of that.
And remember, just to speak to the rudder issue, that's good. Speak to the rudder issue. Uh, in one sense, your biggest goal as a, as a godly woman should be to grow in godliness, <laughs> okay? And to help others grow in godliness, right? Your sisters and your brothers. How do you do that? In home group or just with the brother that you know, how are you doing with the Lord? How could I be praying for you? Right? Wow. Even just that. Huge help to that person growing in godliness. Such, so, we, so sometimes we can overcomplicate things. Um, and so all women married, single, young, old, your goal is to grow in godliness and to help others to grow in godliness. Um, now you have particular roles uh, in home and in the church, which the Bible prescribes, but <clears throat> it's good to just keep those overarching, that overarching umbrella in mind because it's very freeing and, and as you said gives a rudder of direction. And it's not appropriate for a girl to ask Yeah, no, I don't think so at all. Um, now if you walk up and give them some really strange hug and just go, <laughs> I don't know, and then just like lay on them for a bit and then ask, that's, now that's just weird. Uh, hold off on that. Um, but you know, no, we have, we have relationships with one another. What, is, what does the scripture say? Let's just take this to the Bible. In Timothy, it tells us, you know, um, we are to treat one another as family. The, the men are to treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and vice versa is true, right? So we treat one another as family. Well, what do you do with your family? Well, you love and you relate to them as, as friends and family. That's, how you, that's what you do, so it's not, not inappropriate at all. Uh, uh, to, to, to interact with your brother of the opposite sex and to just ask him how he's doing and how you could be praying for him. That's not inappropriate at all. Yeah. Let me close this down because it's 7 o'clock. If you have other questions, uh, I, can, I can be here all night. Um, and we'll... <laughs> let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for your good design for us as your image bearers as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Um, but most of all, as sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed in our roles uh, to bring you glory and honor and to do good and to experience your pleasure as we live within the grain of that which you've called us to live in, which is not always within the grain of our culture. But, oh God, we want to be a people of the book we want to be a people uh, that delights in the book and in all it has to say. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be confident. Uh, help us to live happy and holy lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.